Hey, I'm Noble. Thanks for checking out the message today. I'm so thankful that you're here and we would love to connect with you. An easy way to do that is you can text River Connect one word to 97000. You can also go through our website and find out more about us and see what we have coming up. Lastly, if you'd like to give to the River Church, you can text an amount to 84321 or you can go to the giving tab at the top of the page. I just want to thank you for being with us today and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye now. If you got a Bible, let's open those up to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter number 9. you're a guest, want to welcome you. So glad that you're here. If you're watching online, want to welcome you as well. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you. You can take out your phone and you can download uh, a Bible app or you can download the River Church app and there's a Bible feature on there. But want to encourage you so that you can see the Bible, you can see the scripture, the word of God for yourself. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number Six. The Bible says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The writer here is Isaiah. He is a prophet. A prophet is someone who would speak on behalf of God. God would tell the prophet, in this case Isaiah, what to say or what to write down, what message to deliver to his people. So when we jump into the book of Isaiah or to any other prophet, they're kind of divided into the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets are longer books, longer ministries of prophets. The minor prophets are shorter books and really uh, symbolic of shorter ministries or identify shorter ministries. But when you jump into the prophecies, very important to know who's talking. In this case, we know it's Isaiah. When is he talking and what is he talking about? And so if you jump back to Isaiah chapter number 7 and verse 1, we see the the setting, we see the setup for what's going on. The first phrase there in verse 1, it says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, uh, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Jump over to verse number 10, same chapter. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. So God is speaking to the king, Ahaz, the king of Judah. He's speaking to him through the prophet Isaiah. Now, Ahaz was uh, one of 20 kings of the southern kingdom. 
Now hold your spot in Isaiah 7, 8, 9, and go to the left and go to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Don't want to get too bogged down with history here, but really we need to know the context of Isaiah 7, 8, 9, and so forth uh, before we can really understand what the Word of God is saying. So the first king of Israel, a united kingdom, was Saul. Saul ruled for 40 years, and his successor was David, a man after God's own heart. He also ruled for 40 years. David had a son named Solomon. Solomon the wise ruled for 40 years. Not a mathematician, but that's 120 years. So some pretty stable reigns. When Solomon passed the kingdom on to his son Rehoboam, Rehoboam was very arrogant. He was unwise, very distinct from his father. And he decided he was going to tax the people to incredible levels. And so the nation of Israel, built up of the families of Jacob, the the 12 tribes, split into two countries. So the country in the north was called Israel. The country in the south was called Judah, after the main tribe there. And so the the first, the, the nation of Israel, they had 19 kings. Zero of them followed the Lord. You think about that. A nation split. You had David, man after God's own heart. You had Solomon the wise. And then the kingdom splits, and they go zero for 19 kings that follow the Lord. So in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire came and took them captive. The southern kingdom had 20 kings. Nine of them were good. So about 50%, nine kings followed the Lord, honored the Lord. Until 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar came and took that nation into what's known as Babylonian captivity. So what we're looking at here is we're looking at one of those kings in the southern kingdom named Ahaz. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter number 28. Here's kind of just a summary of this man. 2 Chronicles chapter 28. The Bible says Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. I just want to pause you there. Just because he was 20 didn't mean he was stupid. There were kings younger than him that honored the Lord, and there were kings that were older than him that honored the Lord. So it's just giving us this detail here. So I don't want to be, I don't want any older people being mean to 20-year-olds, okay? So Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. It's kind of the capital city of Judah. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. So David, his ancestor being referred to as his father here. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Remember Israel, zero for, tw- or zero for 19 kings that honor the Lord. He even made metal images for the Baals. And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and uh, under every green tree. So here's the summary of this guy named Ahaz. He didn't follow the Lord. He copied the pagan kings 
or the, the kings who didn't honor the Lord in the northern kingdom, and he made all of these metal images to the false demonic god Baal. He went so far as to do human sacrifice, sacrificing his own child in sacrifice to these abominable demon gods. And he sacrificed, verse 4, offerings in high places and hills, all of these different pagan idolatrous sites. That's Ahaz. So about the time Isaiah gets word to Ahaz, Isaiah at the time of his ministry, and Isaiah had a long ministry, word arrives to the king of a possible invasion that two nations, two rival nations, have paired up together and they're going to invade Jerusalem, they're going to invade Judah and take it over. So look at Second Chronicles chapter number 28. Verse 22, in the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 2. You can kind of bounce back and forth with me if you'd like. Isaiah chapter 7, in verse number 2, he finds out that Ephraim and Syria have teamed up. Verse 2 says, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. He was afraid. He was terrified. He's somewhere between the ages of 20 and 36. He's not honoring the Lord. He's made all of these different sacrifices to these pagan gods and goddesses. And he finds out that Syria and Ephraim have teamed up and they're going to invade And he is terrified. He doesn't know what to do. So the prophecy of Isaiah 7, 8, 9 comes at a time, the the message that Isaiah is preaching comes at a time of national crisis, of national upheaval. He's giving the message when people are afraid of war coming or an impending invasion. They're also dealing with the fact that there is an incredibly immoral pagan leadership, idolatrous leadership on the throne. So what does God do? God sends his prophet. He sends a message through Isaiah to the king. Look at Isaiah 7. Verse number 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. What's well, a bit ridiculous there? That's not consistent. He has put the Lord to the test by making all these pagan idol sacrifices and so on and so forth. So look down to verse number 14. Ahaz says, I won't go to God. I'm not going to ask God's advice. I'm not going to ask God for a sign. So verse 14, the prophet Isaiah speaking for God says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. You won't go to God, but God will come to you. You won't ask for a sign, but God will give you a sign. Here's the sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So the sign is quite startling. It's a virgin who is going to become pregnant, a biological impossibility. But God is going to do this, and God even says this is what's going to happen. She's going to conceive. It's going to be a miraculous conception. She's going to have a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Ahaz is told by Isaiah, I'll give you a sign. I'll let you know what's going to happen here. And here's the crazy part. Did Ahaz listen? No. He ignored the miraculous. Go back to 2 Chronicles 28. Look at what he did instead. 2 Chronicles 28, 16. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria for help. So Assyria, those are the ones who in 722 BC came and took the nation of Israel captive. He's reaching out to those people. Look down to verse number 22. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. So this is what he does. He's in a crisis. God's man, Isaiah, has come to him and said, hey, God is, is here to give you a sign. God, God's here to speak to you. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. So Ahaz goes to the king of Syria, actually sends him gifts from the temple. When that didn't work, verse 22, he becomes even more faithless, and we know this from the book of Isaiah, that he turns to mediums and necromancers, So fortune tellers. And in both times, end of verse 21, there in 2 Chronicles 28, the Bible says, but it did not help him. Look at verse 23, same chapter. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. God wanted to speak to him. God wanted to give him counsel. God sent Isaiah to speak to him. He didn't want to have anything, anything, Thing to do with that. Now, so go back to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. That's the historical, cultural, that's what's going on. That's who Isaiah is talking to. So, Isaiah has already said in chapter 7, verse 14, God's going to give you a sign. And it's going to be a miraculous conception by a virgin. And that virgin will bear a son. And that son will be called God with us, Emmanuel. Now look at verse number, uh, chapter 9 and verse number 6. Isaiah begins to celebrate. For to us, a child is born. What child is he talking about? He's talking about the child prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He said, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. In this national crisis in Judah, they're depending on Ahaz, and he's a wicked, vile, idolatrous, afraid leader. And that's who the people are stuck with. But what does God say? God says, I'm going to send you a sign. It's going to be a miraculous birth. It will be Emmanuel, God with us. And guess what? The government does not rest upon Ahaz's shoulder. The government rests upon this 
shoulder. Well, who is this shoulder? It continues. His name will be called. So name identified character or character was expressed by a name. So it's not that this person could be called all of these different names. It's that these spoke to his character. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Here's the hint. Mighty God. So Emmanuel, God with us. Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Verse 7 talks about the fact that his peace will spread out and the increase of his government knows no end. Almost the end of verse number 7. From this time forth and forevermore. Look at chapter number 9, verse 1 and 2. I want to read these and I want to connect these dots for you. Isaiah says, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of nations. Right? So some different names there. You think, I don't don't know what's going on here. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now hold your spot in Isaiah 9 and go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 4. Matthew chapter number 4 and verse number 12. Verse 12, Gospel of Matthew. This is right after the temptation of Jesus. That's right after the baptism of Jesus. So Jesus is about to begin his ministry, his earthly ministry. Verse 12, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he, meaning Jesus, withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. If you ever read the Gospel of Matthew, read it with a highlighter or a pen and underline every time you see fulfilled. Here it is, verse 15. We we just read it in Isaiah chapter 9. Here it is now in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Look at verse 17. What is that light dawning? From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Ahaz didn't want a sign from God. He didn't want to hear anything from God because he was worshiping all of these false gods. And God said, you know what? You're not going to ask me for a sign, but I'm going to send Isaiah and he's going to tell you about a sign. And it will be a sign that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And that son will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And you're going to keep ignoring that, but I want you to understand, Ahaz, that this child is going to be born, a son is going to be given, and the government is not going to rest upon your kingly, weak shoulders. It's going to rest upon his shoulders and hear who he is. His name is Jesus. 
Folks, this is what we're celebrating during this season. We're celebrating that like the nation of Israel, we too as people often live in times of upheaval, in times of fear, in times of immoral leadership, and God sees that. And so what is the sign of God's rule and reign over the universe? He sent his only begotten son. Isaiah says there in Isaiah 9, 6, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. God so loved the world. Even in our brokenness, he loves you and I. And the collective brokenness that we have, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he dispatched his only begotten son to go to the cross of Calvary, to pay the penalty for sin and to rise from the dead. And so where does all government for all time rest upon? It rests upon the shoulders of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Man, if that doesn't bring you peace and joy, I don't know what else will. But that brings me such peace to know that there is joy to all the world. There is peace because the prince of peace has come. The government sits upon his shoulders. And the first name there that Isaiah gives is he shall be called the wonderful counselor. Here's the truth. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Wonderful is defined as great or difficult, hard to accomplish things, hidden things, too high, marvels, miracles. You could add the word supernatural or divine. Matthew Henry says this of Jesus, justly is he called wonderful, for he is both God and man. So he is this supernatural, divine counselor, the one who consults, the one who guides, the one who advises. Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29. He says, he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Paul says this in Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Jesus is declared here in a moment of crisis, in the moment of challenge, as the wonderful counselor. But he was the last place that Ahaz wanted to go. Ahaz would reach out to the Assyrians. Ahaz would go to necromancers, essentially witches. He would go to all those places before he would go to the Lord. You ever stop and ask yourself, where's the first place you go for counsel? For help? For many of us, we go to everyone, everywhere, and everything else but the Lord. Sure, the Lord's on the list of people we got to probably run something by, but he's kind of down the list. Maybe in times of financial difficulties, it's first you find your financial advisor or your banker. Maybe marriage problems, it's a therapist or the pastor. Life-changing decisions, maybe for you it's friends or parents or a podcast or an author or a mentor. And it's, it's good to go to some of those folks for advice. But I think we get mixed up on where we ought to go first. 
When we don't go to the Lord first, I, I think things get really messed up and we end up going places for counsel and we ask people for counsel that we never should ask counsel of. I just want to say this clear. We go to godless secular authors and counselors and therapists who do not know the Lord. Some turn to fortune tellers or let me read my astrological sign that'll tell me why this relationship or this friendship or this circumstance is not working out. And what we need to realize is where we go for counsel shapes how we think. In Ahaz's case, the Bible says clearly, first he goes to Assyria, and the Bible says it did not help him. Then he, in his time of distress, even acts more faithlessly to the Lord. He turns to all of these different false gods and goddesses, and it says this, they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. Where do you go for counsel? Where's the first place? You're getting ready to buy a house. You're getting ready to sell a house. You're getting ready to get married. You're getting ready to name your kids. You're getting ready to make an investment, a career change, whatever it might be. The many decisions that we all will make within the course of a week or a month, year or lifetime. Where am I going to go to college? What am I going to do for a job? Where am I going to live? Who am I going to date? The hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, tens of thousands decisions that we make. Is the Lord our wonderful counselor where we're going first. For me, I often find that I will um, make decisions and the ball will be rolling, the train will be already down the tracks and I'm like, oh, we probably should have prayed about that. You know, let's pray real quick. It's, probably, it's not gonna change the decision. Everything's rolling that direction anyways. But we should check that box. Maybe you're similar to me like that. Or maybe you're just so eager. It's like, oh, we made that decision. How we, we probably should have figured out what God had to say about that. But uh, Lord, I don't know if you're going to like this or not, but please bless. Thanks. Amen. How many decisions do we look back and go, what the heck was I thinking? I was reading that passage from 2 Chronicles 28 and the scripture says those decisions, those choices, who he went to, Ahaz went to, they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. It caused catastrophic destruction, not just for him, but for people around him. Who's your counselor? Not someone who um, 
You know, we often look for counselors that will just listen to us and agree with what we have to say. Sometimes people will graciously come to me for counsel, and I'm always very humbled by that. But folks will come and, and they'll, they'll share something, and then you go to give them advice, and they're like, I just wanted to share that with you, Pastor. And you're like, oh, thank you for letting me know that. Like, because I think we... First of all, I think we want to be God. And when we make a decision or we make a choice or we start in a direction and God's word says, hey, you can't, you can't go that way, we're like, ah, I don't, I'm not listening to the Bible. You know what? God will be okay with this. rather than realizing in Christ God has given us the wonderful counselor. Psalm 121.2 says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 16.7 David says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. James chapter 1, verse 5, one of my favorite promises in all of the Bible. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I feel like I ought to raise my hand at the comma there. If any of you lacks wisdom, yes, Lord, that's me. James says, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God's not looking for you to impress him with your wisdom because he knows the lack of our wisdom. So what does God say? I have all the wisdom. If you'll just come to me, I will give it to you. So if you don't understand a situation, if you don't know what to do about something, if there, 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 there's a circumstance facing you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and God will give generously. And I love this part, without reproach, it's not like God looks at you and goes, man, you're an idiot. Ah, here you go. Here's some wisdom. There's no reproach with it. God says, yes, here you go. God gives us wisdom. It's a great promise from the scripture. So where do you first go for counsel? It's one of the reasons we begin every sermon with open your Bibles. What does God have to say? What does God have to say about how you spend your money? Or how you spend your retirement? Or what career you choose? Or where you live? Or what job you take? What does the scripture have to say? Maybe it's not about choices. Maybe it's about a struggle. God, I'm really struggling with this sin in my life. I can't seem to stop drinking. Lord, I can't seem to get off the pills. God, I can't seem to stop looking at pornography. Lord, I just, I am struggling with this sin. I can't seem to stop gossiping, Lord. We go to all the other places, all the other counselors, all the other therapists, all the other groups. When the first place 
Let me say this, not the only place, but the first place we ought to go is to the Lord Jesus. I was thinking specifically about that passage in Matthew chapter number four where Jesus faces temptation. Oftentimes in church, particularly amongst guys, it's important to have accountability. And so I'm struggling with the sin. Okay, I'll find a guy who I can be accountable to. Well, the first stop is, Lord, I need your wisdom. And it often is about defeating temptation. Okay, Lord, I need to look to you as my wonderful counselor, my wonderful example. How did you beat temptation? How did you overcome temptation? Yes, I'm going to have accountability, but first I'm going to go to the wonderful counselor. Lord, how did you deal with loneliness? How did you deal with being abandoned? How did you deal with being betrayed? That is why central to a believer's life is a regular daily appetite of being in the scripture. Let me just say to you, you're not going to make it otherwise. Because we'll be drawn to this counselor and to this fad and this supposed Christian author or Christian blogger or podcast or whatever it might be. We'll be drawn to all these different things. And what we do is we go, no, let me go to the wonderful counselor. Let, let me see what the word of God has to say. Let me see what Jesus is telling me to do. Let me see the example that Jesus is walking. And what that will do is that will shape our minds and hearts. And it will create a sort of filter. Because there's a lot of voices. There's a lot of voices on social media. There's a lot of voices on television. There's a lot of voices on the radio. If you still get a newspaper that's about that small now, there's voices there. There's all of these different voices. And there's, there's friends and there's politicians and there's all of these different voices in our minds. And, and some of us can be stirred up into great fear. Some of us can be stirred up into greed. We can be stirred up into all these different ways. And if our first counsel is the word of God, that will shape our minds and hearts to, 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 to filter all that nonsense out. Oh man, my financial advisor is telling me to spend my money this way, but the word of God is telling me to spend my money that way. Yeah, we're going to do it this way. The word of God is telling me this is how I do marriage. My wonderful counselor is telling me how to love my wife, how to love my husband, how to deal with conflict, how to parent. This is what the Bible is telling me to do. But my mom is telling me this, my sister's telling me this, my friend is telling me that, this podcast is telling me this, this magazine's telling me to do this, I read this blog and I think this is all true. Nope, this is what the wonderful counselor is telling me to do, and it helps filter out all of that other, sorry, nonsense. And it begins to shape our minds and our hearts. Who's your counselor? Who's your first stop? As simple as it is, the first stop for Christians ought to be, what does the Lord have to say? What's he telling me to do? And what's he telling me not to do? As a believer in here, as a Christian in here, that ought to be your first stop. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible 
was from a king that was before Ahaz, one of the good kings in the south. His name was Jehoshaphat, which sounds like Joshua and Fat together and makes me self-conscious every time I read it. But nonetheless, he prays one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. He was in a moment of national crisis as well, which for him as the king would have been a personal crisis. And he just says to the Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love it because it's so simple. I love it because it rhymes. We don't know what to do. And I've been there a lot in my life. I don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Take the stories that maybe you heard in Sunday school or catechism or some some other places and think about this. Remember Peter walking on the water? Spectacular story. His eyes are on Jesus and he is able to, by divine power, walk across the waves. But the moment the wind and waves come, his eyes are taken off of Jesus and he begins to see the waves. The things that he's walking on now become so terrifying to him that he sinks and he begins to drown and Jesus has to save him. Oh, you have little faith. What happened? He took his eyes off Jesus and circumstances started to dictate his responses. Then that happens. Some of you need to turn off the television. You need to get off social media because you freak out. And right now my wife is about to amen and throw something at me because that's me. Like I can feel my ears getting red. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the world, this is so stupid. Oh, I hate this guy. What is wrong with this idiot, right? Sorry, I know, that was probably too much for you. <laughs> right? And that was just reviewing my sermon right there. Uh, <laughs> you just get worked up. You start to be afraid. You start to, your blood pressure goes up. Your anxiety goes up. And what happens is, is we take our eyes off the wonderful counselor and say, okay, Lord, what, what do you have for me? You're going to help me filter all this out. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are going to stay on you. Maybe you're here and you've never come to the Lord. The Bible says to us, a son is given And that really is this beautiful prophecy of the gospel message that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus goes to the cross and Jesus pays the penalty for sins and Jesus rises from the dead. That's the good news. But we have to respond to the good news. And how we respond to the good news is Romans 10.9. We confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the only way we're able to be saved from our sins. And what does that do? That connects us to the wonderful counselor. Maybe you're here and you've never done that. Maybe you're here and this is a religious gathering to you. Maybe you're here and this is just a family thing that you do. Maybe you're here and in this moment you're hearing the gospel and going, I've never surrendered to Jesus. Jesus is not Lord of my life. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm a pretender. I'm a casual acquaintance of Jesus, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. Jesus is not my first stop. He's not my wonderful counselor. He's a guy that had said some good things. 
Maybe in this moment you need to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus as Lord. And believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and be saved. I pray that if you need to, you will. Let's pray together.